All right. Were you blessed by that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Well, we have a few announcements we want to go over. We are going to be having a prayer vigil. Everybody says, woohoo! And it's going to be Friday, November 30th through Saturday, December 1st. It's going to be a 12-hour. It's going to start at 9 p.m., end at 9 a.m. And there are some people who have agreed to be prayer captains. So um, you can come even if you don't sign up, but it's kind of encouraging to uh, just sign up, and you can come for a whole two-hour block or any portion of that. So I'm going to pass that around. And also there's a few holes in the um, goodie sign-up, so I'm going to pass that around. Starts us with John. There you go. Everybody, turn around. And look at the table. It has food on it. We want to be a blessing to the food bank in Eagle, and uh, they do run out of stuff from time to time. And so there is a list on the bulletin board. They can pretty much use any non-perishable items. Um, but if you want to know specifically things they look for, because they try to put certain things in every box per family. Uh, but they can use things that aren't on that typical list, like diapers and baby food and formula and anything that's non-perishable. So we're going to collect it for the, end, for the month of November, and then we're going to take it to them. And they were excited that we were willing to do that. So, uh, you know, because I called them and asked them, would that be helpful? And they were like, oh, yeah, that would be awesome. So let's pile that table, real heavy stuff just put under the table, and, uh, you know, just pray about what you can do to bless others. Um, we have men's ministry tomorrow night, 7 p.m. here at the church, and women's ministry Tuesday night, uh, 6.30 p.m. here at the church. So men's ministry, 7 p.m., Monday, women, Tuesday, 6.30. And uh, I believe Laura is bringing the word, so we're looking forward to that. And play practice, if you're involved in the Christmas play, is 6 p.m. here on Thursday. Um, let's see, anything else I'm forgetting? I think that's pretty good. Kids, are you ready to go downstairs? Yes. yes. All right. You can go. Sorry, I maybe I didn't make myself clear. Have fun. I'm glad you got your head down. Close that door behind you before me. All right, well, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, you've already been so awesome, and I know you've already touched lives and met needs, and we just thank you for that. And we just ask that you continue to do that. Holy Spirit, have free reign in the service and encourage and inspire and touch lives. Thank you, God. strengthening us and stretching us and comforting us and providing for us. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you know today is Veterans Day? Yes. And I just have a little clip that I want to show to get us started. Should we turn off the lights, maybe?
like that clip? You know, some, I liked what it ended with, all gave some, and some gave all. And uh, I, I shared about this man I'm about to share with you again, but I wanted to bring him up again. Even as I shared him back in July, his story, I thought that I might share his story again on Veterans Day. And as I was looking at things, I realized that that was true, that feeling that I had back in July, I knew I wanted to share it again. And you'll see the connection later. Um, I shared the story of Eric Erickson. He was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1890 to an impoverished uh, family, the son of Swedish immigrants. And from the website, something about everything military and Wikipedia, uh, he worked for Standard Oil and a number of other oil firms in the Far East in the 1920s. And then he made friends in Stockholm because remember he's Swedish descent and soon moved his operations to Sweden. And he renounced his American citizenship and became a naturalized Swedish, Swedish subject in 1936, probably because he got married to a Swedish uh, woman. In 1939, Lawrence Steinhardt, the then American ambassador to Russia, arranged for a dinner with Ericsson in Stockholm. Steinhardt knew that Ericsson had done business uh, with German firms and had solid relationships with uh, oil um, industrialists, and some, some of whom were members of the Nazi party. He also knew that Erickson had often voiced his democratic views. And he wanted Erickson to act as a spy for American intelligence, to learn and report everything that he could about the German oil industry and its synthetic oil production. They were, were turning coal into oil, uh, which was vital to their war operations, and Hitler had uh, been planning this for a long time. And Erickson agreed, and he was uh, put in contact with OSS uh, masters in Stockholm, and he was given a short course in espionage. The minimum OSS training at that time was 38 hours, at which time they uh, were taught uh, the use of tiny cameras, codes, and ciphers. And with this accomplished, Erickson was then instructed to publicly befriend the Nazis. Imagine only having 38 hours of spy school. That just seems crazy, especially at the level he was going to be asked to participate in. So he began to publicly express his devotion to Hitler and his cause, and ultimately he was disowned by his family in America and his family in Sweden. He was branded a turncoat. Only Ericsson's young new bride and his best friend, Prince Carl Bernadotte, the nephew of the Swedish king, knew of his deception. So convincing was his pro-Nazi pose that his friends and relatives in Sweden shunned him as a collaborationist. Well, after a while, the, the uh, security division of the Gestapo contacted Ericsson and asked him if he would help the German, part, the German uh, cause. And he swiftly brought great improvements to, ger to Germany's synthetic oil uh, industry. And at that time, every oil refinery in Germany was built underground, and they were uh, filling every oil need for Germany in the war effort. Erickson made scores of trips to Germany between 1941 and 1944. He gathered priceless information on Germany's oil refineries, which turned out to be his, uh, and then he turned that information over to his OSS contacts. The hazards were great. The Gestapo followed him everywhere because they trusted him on one hand and yet doubted him on the other. And another ep episode I, I read, he had to kill a Gestapo agent who realized, had overheard part of a conversation 
that would reveal his true identity. The uh, Allies stepped up their bombing of Germany and Nazi-occupied countries in 1943, but they had difficulty in locating the oil refineries that kept Hitler's war machine moving. So Erickson was told by his OSS contacts that he had to locate those key refineries. And so he concocted a fantastic scheme and took it to the most fantastic Nazi of them all, Heinrich Heine, who was head of the Gestapo and the SS. He was the most feared man in Europe, a mass murderer unparalleled uh, in recorded history. And this is the man who's taking his time to. Erickson proposed the construction of a massive synthetic oil industry in Sweden so as to able the support of all of Germany in the case that the underground refineries were destroyed. Sounds like a great backup plan, doesn't it? He also enticed Heimler that he could personally sort of invest on the side, and if things didn't go the way he planned, he'd still be a wealthy man when the war was over. He sort of made that promise to Hitler, too. So they both embraced it and gave him everything he needed and all the access he needed to all of the underground refineries. So, because he had told him in order to reproduce a, ref uh, a synthetic oil refinery in Sweden, he had to visit all of these locations and just really understand how they did everything. So he visited every refinery in Germany and he mapped out complete detail their location. And in the weeks to come, every time uh, every refinery was bombed on raids that went in those areas. And then when they'd be rebuilt, they'd be bombed again because he'd, he'd give them the locations. Or if they moved, he was, he was doing that. Um, and in 1944, remember he started in 1941 starting to do that. He was approached in 1939. First he made some improvements so they'd want him, right? And in 1944, the synthetic oil production in Germany had dried up Soon enough, there was not a single mobile war machine in German hands. They didn't have enough fuel to keep everything running. What this was kind of a side benefit that was considered most surprising and shocking was that it just so happened that the synthetic plant, and I'm, excuse me if I pronounce some of these cities wrong, Merzberg Luna, just so happened to be next to a building in which experiments which were highly advanced much further than anywhere else uh, in the German Empire. They were being conducted on an atomic bomb. And when that one synthetic oil plant was blown, it blew up everything they had in that other plant, too. Isn't that a praise God? <laughs> so they weren't able to develop that. And all of that project was diminished in a, in a few seconds. And it would be some time before um, Erickson's uh, tarnished image would be cleaned up. The true nature of his work for the Allies was eventually revealed and he was hailed as a hero rather than a traitor that he was thought to be. That information comes from J. Robert Nash in Spies, a narrative encyclopedia of dirty tricks and double dealing from biblical times to today. Wikipedia also said that soon after the end of World War II, what Erickson did was cited by General Dwight D. Eisenhower as an integral part of the Allies' victory in Europe. And he was later also honored by President Harry S. Truman. Eric Erickson did not single-handedly win World War II, but he is greatly credited with turning the war in our favor and helping shut down the Nazi regime. So just one man stepping out and taking action, willing to risk death and being ostracized. Can you imagine what the world would be like today if 
Nazi Germany had made. Erickson was one who gave some. What a sacrifice he made for the greater good. Did you see the gentleman in the film that had the beret on? Did you see the patch on his jacket? Did you catch what it said? I didn't. I had to pause it. It said that he served in the Battle of the Bulge. I looked that battle up. That battle was 67 years ago. It lasted a horrific 43 days and became the costliest action ever fought by the U.S. Army. There were over 100,000 casualties in that war, in that battle. This is from History.com and Carlo W. Uh, Vieste. In December 1944, when did all the oil dry up? 1944, the refinery, they just couldn't, they'd been bombed out, right? In December 1944, Adolf Hitler ordered the only major German counteroffensive of the war in Northwest Europe. Its objective was to split the Allied armies. The Germans had done this, something similar to this, three times previously in September 1870, in August 1914, and in May 1940. So twice, uh, you know, once during World War I, they'd done the same kind of offensive or counteroffensive, and they'd already done it once in this war. But despite Germany, Germany's historical penchant for mounting counteroffensives, when things looked darkest, the aliens, the Allies' uh, leadership miscalculated and left the Ardennes uh, lightly defended by only two inexperienced and two battered American divisions. On December 16th, three German armies, more than a quarter million troops, launched the deadliest and most desperate battle of the war in the West in a poorly roaded, rugged, heavily forested Ardennes. The once quiet region became bedlam as American units were caught flat-footed and fought desperate battles to stem the German advance at St. Vith, at Eisenborn Ridge, at Hooplies, and later at Bastogne, which was defended by the 101st Airborne Division. The inexperienced U.S. 106th Division was nearly annihilated. But even in defeat, they helped buy time for Brigadier General Bruce C. Clark's brilliant defense of St. Vith. And as the German armies drove deeper into the Ardennes in an attempt to secure the bridgeheads west of the River Meuse quickly, the line defining the Allied front took an appearance of a large protrusion or bulge. Thus, the name for that battle lives on today. The line, instead of being this way, it was kind of like this, and then it had this big bulge as they pressed into that territory trying to get to those bridgeheads. A crucial German shortage of fuel. And who would have that been due to? Eric Erickson. And the gallantry of American troops fighting in the frozen forests of the Ardennes proved fatal to Hitler's ambition to snatch, if not victory, at least a draw with the Allies in the West. Lieutenant, Lieutenant General George S. Patton's uh, remarkable feat of turning his army 90 degrees toward the town of Bastogne was the key to thwarting the German counteroffensive. See how that one man's single action helped curb. Hitler had enough fuel to start that battle, but he didn't expect to meet as much resistance as he met, and he ran out of fuel before he could finish it the way he wanted to. All of those men, 100,000 casualties, over 100,000 casualties in that battle, but it helped turn the tide because that war would still swing over at that point. 
I think it's important from time to time to remember the sacrifices that others have made on our behalf, on behalf of our nation, and on behalf of worldwide greater good. I would hate to think what the world would look like now if Hitler had had his way. Our armed forces are required to do whatever is asked of them, wherever and whenever they are asked. And we need to remember to say thank you. Is there any in this room today who have served in the armed forces? I know there have been currently Tanner Mallow who's been to this church and Adrian Sembrano are currently serving right now. I know that Bill Richardson and Kobe Costin who come here have served in um, our armed forces. So we want to say thank you, not only to them, but to every veteran uh, who has served our nation. As I was looking at some of the sites of some of the battles of World War II, I saw this clip of an elderly gentleman, and it was pretty neat, some of the footage that he shot and all the battles that he, and places that he'd been. But they gave a statistic that at this point in time, we are losing 1,000 World War II veterans a day. I assume we won't have any left. There aren't very many left now. And, uh, and not that that was the only time that soldiers have lost their lives or given all for our sake, because many have lost, even in Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan, have lost their lives or been maimed in uh, serving our nation. There's another commander-in-chief that expects and desires that kind of commitment and dedication. And so my question for you this morning is, will you follow your commander-in-chief? Joshua 1, 7 through 8. It says, be strong and very courageous. This was God talking to Joshua as he was about to take on being the general of the, the Israelite army. He had a big job. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. How's he going to be successful? By not turning away from what the law is. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. There's three steps to this passage. Be strong and courageous. Don't let the daunting task of what God has asked you to do hinder you from doing it, hinder you from getting started, hinder you from going forward. Because a lot of times it seems pretty frightening, doesn't it? Gideon was frightened when the angel came to him, remember? He said, mighty man of valor, and Gideon's looking over his shoulder. Who are you talking to? Because it can't be me. Joshua, I think the reason God told him three different times to be strong and courageous is because Joshua's like, probably saying, what have I gotten myself into? Moses more than once went to the Lord, just overwhelmed by leading, you know, a couple million people or more. You know how much you have a headache at your house sometimes leading your family? Can you imagine? Multiply that by that percentage. No wonder sometimes he was tearing his head out, hair out, and sometimes they were a very stiff-necked people on top of that. Exodus 
also Bezalel, Oholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. Sometimes we forget that the Lord equips us, right? He equips who he calls. Sometimes we have natural gifts and abilities, but God equipped those he commanded to build his sanctuary. So whether it's a safe job like building a sanctuary or a threatening job like serving in a nation, whether it's something easy that you might enjoy doing or something that you dread having to be in charge of or taking on, God equips those he calls. It's a good thing God didn't ask me to do Eric Erickson's job. I don't think I could have done it. He risked everything. Matthew 7, 21. Now, this is Jesus' words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It matters that we obey. It matters that we do what our commander-in-chief asks of us. God doesn't just want lip service. He wants us to do what he asks us to do. The funny thing is, on the other side of it, be so glad you did it. Even though you might be uncomfortable, even though it's unpleasant. I was reading about Ezekiel, a prophet to Israel, and God had him bring horrendous, harsh words, and then he had him physically illustrated. Because Israel, remember those two kingdoms, Judah and Israel? Because Israel had been so disobedient, he asked him to lie on his left side to dim and, and for one day for each year the Israel had been disobedient as a physical sign to the nation of how long he, they were going to suffer for their pig-headedness. Do you know how long he had to lay on his left side? 390 days because they were going to be in captivity 390 years. And then he said, and when you get done with that, then I want you to turn over to your right side. And Judah has been obstinate and disobeyed me for 40. So I want you to lie on your side for 40. And then he told him that during that time, he was going to give them very limited portions. And he went on to describe that. Read it in, I think it's Ezekiel 4, um, of and, and the rations were what a city would, the rations were what you would eat if your city was under siege. Very limited wa rations of water, very limited rations of food. So he's having those kind of under siege kind of uh, rations during that time. And then he's to cook it over cow manure. First God tells him human excrement. And he's like, oh Lord, I've always, you know, kept, myself pure. And God says, okay, it can be cow manure. So while he lays on his side, he's supposed to bake his bread over cow manure so that God can further illustrate that they have been defiled. I'm so glad that I don't have to bring that kind of condemnation word to you day after day after day after day. God asks some really hard things of him. You can only imagine what his kingdom, what his mansion in heaven 
is, is like, I don't even care if it's bigger than, than my life. If God didn't ask me to do stuff like that, hallelujah. See, sometimes God asks really hard things. Sometimes he asks really fun things. But we have to be willing to be, obe- be obedient no matter what. Because God wants our obedience not because it's required. Don't get me wrong, it is required. But because we want to, because we love him, right? Remember, that's the Hebrew mindset, wanting to serve God, wanting to please God. Don't you want your children to obey you because they know it's right, they know you have your best interest, right? Because they love you, they want to please you. Isn't that a much better place than they're afraid of you? So they, and there were times, don't get me wrong, I shook that they were afraid of me, but that's the only way I could get over it. But I much prefer that they obeyed me because they knew I had their best interest at heart. James 1.25, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. See, there's blessings in your obedience. And I forgot to read this one. Did I read Deuteronomy 5.21? This is a good one. Why did I skip this? Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. We all want it to go well with us. We all want it to go well with our children. But there's a condition to that promise, and that's that we would obey him. Because there are blessings for obedience. And I want to be blessed in all that that I do. I want to be blessed in my life. I want my children to be blessed. And so I try to be as obedient as I possibly can. And so that's what I'm going to do this morning, too. Um, Because I was really struggling. I really was going to teach on, and I probably am next week unless God changes it on me again. on some of the things that Constantine brought to the church that really have shaped the church, but not necessarily in godly ways. Um, But God kind of changed my message on me, and so then I'm struggling, because on Friday I felt like he was changing it, and I thought, but I have all my reading done. You know, Lord, I was just down to putting it kind of in order and figuring it out. And so as I, I prayed about it, I just felt like I kept hitting a wall, and I wasn't getting it, and said, God, what am I missing? I just want to do it the way you want it done. And finally, I felt like yesterday afternoon late, I said to him, the reason you're not getting it all is because it's not all for you to do. I want others to share. So this is what I believe you're supposed to do. I'm asking for some of you to be bold and to share what God has asked or is asking you to do, if you can you feel like it's premature and God said don't say, share that yet, then don't. Because we're not always aware of what God has asked others to do, right? So maybe there are people right here in this room that as you share what God has asked you to do, they want to be in prayer support for that vision. Or they have a similar vision and they say, wow, I thought God, that was the only, I was the only one God was asking to do that. 
What if we link arms together? Wouldn't it be so overwhelming? Together we can encourage each other. Together we can get this done. And I want you to be transparent with the team on what you need. If you need encouragement, if you need further direction, if it's not a complete picture, there are times God shows me glimpses of things and I think, okay, how do I get there? What do I do next? What is, what is the whole thing? Sometimes we don't know it all until we take that first step. Other times God just wants us to ask. So I know that there's got to be people in this room that God is asking some things of. If nothing else, there'll be people who can be friends who help strengthen you, help hold up your arms, help encourage you. Maybe they can help make a good connection that you need made. Who knows? So this is your portion of the sermon. This clock is holding off. I think we have 10 or 15 minutes, unless we just have so many that I feel like we're supposed to go beyond that. Any questions? You have to come up here. We're going to record this. pretty sure that this was for both of me and Matthew, just for starters, because this week, maybe you want to share what happened with me at school, or can I share? Um, well, this week, Matthew got in trouble at school. Actually, it was last week. Was it this week? Was this week? It was last week. Anyway, he got in trouble, and he got suspended from school for two days. And Matt, this whole time, like, Matt, my husband's come into my life, and he's told me, you know, you need to be better at disciplining the boys because they're boys, and they need a harder, a firmer hand, which for us, all our dad had to do was, like, look at us, and we're like, okay. You know, we would go and do whatever he told us to do because he had, like, this scariness about him. Like, she was saying, like, that fear factor, we had it, but it was in a form of respect, but... For me, I feel like if I'm just, like, stern with the boys and they're going to listen and Matt's like, no, you really need to drop the boom and give them as much as they need. And I have been really trying not to do that because that's not what I'm supposed to do. But I think God's been asking me to be obedient and take discipline and then offer discipline. So, um, I don't know, I think just coming up here and sharing with the way God's been ministering to me. Um, do you want to tell them about, like, the maze? story that I told you, or do you want to tell them about the water and the fire? Maze story. Which one do you like better? Okay, go ahead. Well, what my mom was telling me about the maze is, like, you're coming to where the maze and you keep going, like, like you keep running to the same wall, and you're like, no, I want to go this way, and everybody's getting frustrated with you. So they're like, back up and go the right way. And you would just be like, no, I want to go this way, this way, and just get lost. Because he just thinks that, like, when we're telling him stuff, that he just wants to be upset with us or he's got it figured out. But just keeping your mind focused on what the end result is, just getting through the maze and, and knowing that everybody there is for you. And then this morning, do you want to tell about, was it this morning when Roman punched you? <laughs> Yeah, we have an abusive home. <laughs> Come on. Tell them about what happened this morning. Um, I was 
shows Chinese as one of his toys, so like he got a little upset and he didn't mean to punch me. It's like he was trying to get the toy from me because I was on it. And he's like, he flipped me over and sort of accidentally punching me instead of getting the toy from my hand. So he didn't want it. So it was, a, it was just like the same thing with the maze. Matthew came to me and he was like, ah, Solomon, blah, 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 blah. He came to me screaming and I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. This is really silly. And I think this is kind of the way God works with us too. That's why we came up here. I was like, uh, you have a fire and you have a problem, but, and I'm the bucket of water. And all you need to do is get me over here to help you put out this fire. But instead of coming to me, like a friend and saying, hey, you're my bucket of water, let's go put this fire out, you come screaming and you're like shaking me and throwing me all over the place and not using me as a good resource to go and put out your fire. So for Matthew and Roman, I was just telling him, you know, when you come to me with respect and you look at me and say, hey, mom, this is my problem, I need your help, instead of making me part of the problem, um, then I can really help you. And I think what God is teaching me in that picture with even just being a mom and being a friend and, and being obedient is like sometimes when you have, you're afraid of God's authority or afraid of your relationship with him. Like if you're not clicked in with him, I told him, Matthew, what would, what would have been better if you would have came to me and said, what would have worked? I just went up there and to my mom and said, mom, Roman and I got in an argument and I really need your help. Like when you have a relationship with God, you're not going like, I don't, I don't want to come to God because part of this is my fault too, or part of the problem is me, and you're afraid of just having like a really good communication. And what I told him was partially is my fault because he and I aren't connecting the way we need to connect as a mother and son, or for us as parents, or even like children of God, having that one-on-one -on -one constant just a little bit more of a relationship with him instead of feeling like, oh, God's going to be mad at me too, going, hey, Lord, I'm surrendered. I'm not getting this right. I need your help. Then it kind of just sets you up for being a good disciplinarian and being a good person who can take instruction well. And what is your collarbone statement? Like when he gets spanked, he has to do these collarbone statements that we learned from Swankner when he says, like, with this discipline, I'm surrendering my stubbornness and becoming more obedient. Yeah, one of my collarbone statements was that I will, with this discipline, it will help me to get my donors as a resource instead of adding to the problem. So that was just kind of creating more clarity and understanding, and then he kind of taps it in, and, and it's just something that he's working on. But even for us, I think that's what God's calling you through, and it's really hard to bend your babies over and give them a spank or whatever. <laughs> it's like the worst thing, and I think that God's just um, growing me in there, and I'm trying to be more obedient to my husband in that place, too, because he just wants the best for us, so just maybe that's one of ours. <laughs> Thank you. And that's hard when God asks you to change how you parent or to do things that kind of go against your nature. Who else? 
Okay, um, this is very humbling for me. Um, you know, I've done, I've helped with a few, um, with a uh, um, few areas here at church. Not knowing exactly where he wants me to be. It's been very, very painful trying to figure out where my place is, where do I belong, despite of many happy moments and very exciting times. And there's been times when uh, I just, you know, I hide and I say, I just want to stay here, Lord, in this little corner. I don't want to do anything. I I'll pray. That's what I'll do. I'll pray for people. I'll stay here, God. And, and it's great. There's nothing better than being in the presence of God, interceding for people. Um, you have no idea how amazing it is to just be there. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. Um, but, you know, it's like um, Janelle was saying, how it's painful when God is stretching you on I'm going to tell you just a short story. Uh, Tuesday, we had a very long day for elections. It was very tiring, very tiring. And Wednesday, I thought, I'll just stay home. And, you know, I'm, I'm tired. I'll stay home. But guess what? You know, even though I did stay home, I went out to dinner with my husband. And I, when I came home, I had just this burden. And, and I couldn't even enjoy time with my husband because I just knew I needed to go and pray. And then the next day, again, and I thought, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. And, um, you know, he is showing me how to access his glory in, in such a sweet way and, and very humbling because he is God Almighty, and we're down here, and I'm a mere woman, and he loves me so much, and he wants the best for me. But, um, you know, I, I just see all these little things that just keep coming up, and I just keep fighting. But the fighting, I've noticed that, you know, the tools he gives me, he reminds me of the tools and being able to use them and access that. and. And just be done with it. Don't deal with it. You know, it's like Satan, get behind me now and, and be done with it. And, you know, this is one of the things that um, God has, even, even this morning as I finish praying, um, I'm, I'm writing in my notebook because of the things I want to share with the women this Thursday. You know, I don't want to be out of line with his word. I don't want to share anything out of my flesh. I want them to be blessed, and I want them to know what I know. And God gave me such a love of reading since I was a young girl. And, and I love reading, and this is one of the things that the Lord wants me to do. He wants me to have resources for all of you. He wants me to make a way to get resources into this place. He wants a ministry of resources. And I have some at home. I have some books, beautiful books that have ministered to my life in such a way that only he can, through his spirit, using those men and women of God. And, um, you know, right now, that's what I believe he wants me to do. You know, and I, um, 
you know, I've been wanting to share this with Pastor Vicky, and I've been such a slacker because I should have done it already, and I didn't. And, um, you know, even now that I'm telling you, I feel so much lighter. <laughs> I don't know why it took me this long. <laughs> but it's such a blessing to me to let you know that, yes, with her permission, I will. You know, I keep telling people that he gave me a library, and he has already. And with her permission, I'm not sure how it's going it, to, it will come together. And we are going to have amazing resources and as a library, check out initially. And if God wants to do more with it later, then, you know, we'll have him do that. But in the meantime, I want to be right. Because at first I was like, is that really you? Is that really what you want me to do? And I kept playing back and forth, back and forth. And right now, when she said that, I'm like, Lord. <laughs> and that is um, the beginning of something. Because the Lord says, my people lack of, for la lack of uh, knowledge. And also for lack of vision. But that is my vision for now. It's starting small. Um, but it will, it will grow because I know we all need this. And we all need to constantly be full of him so that we can bring others into it. Just, I have so much stuff to say. <laughs> if you're a guy, you don't want to miss out the women's ministry. <laughs> And she meant to say Tuesday night, yes, yes, not yes, Thursday yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, um, yes, you have my permission. If you had talked to me, we have talked even about having a Linden Library. I'm all for it because I think people do need resources. And we'll have to figure out the logistics of how that all happened. But praise God. Praise God. I think we have time for one more. you know you're supposed to talk um, when you get this feeling inside and you're like jumping out of your skin but you're really scared so <laughs> I'm, I'm being obedient uh, I'm trying to make this quick but it's a long story because um, at one point I really felt like I knew where God wanted me where this church was and those of you who know me knows I have worn a couple different hats here but it always seemed like um, the enemy would come in wasn't good enough. And so for a long period of time, I kind of took a step back. And my awesome sisters in Christ, if you haven't ever went to women's ministry, you have to go. Um, last month, uh, Laura gave everybody a journal. And I usually write journals anyway, but this was my God journal. This was where I talked to him every day. And lately, it's just like he's been showing me so much that some days it's very overwhelming. And I kept asking him, God, where is my place now? I've done a lot of things, and somehow I feel like every time I stepped up, Satan robbed me from whatever was there. He told me lies. Didn't matter that you told me you equipped me. I just felt like I got beat up. And so I've really been seeking his face and going, where do you want me, Lord? Where do you want me? And I have to tell you that I don't know yet. I think he's still dealing with me. But even this morning as I'm writing, um, Wendy had asked me if I would bring the, the message for the Christmas party. And I'm like, oh, that's great. <laughs> and I kept praying about it, and I didn't feel anything, and I kept praying about it. And even this morning when I'm writing it down, God says, 
why don't you know? Why don't you know why you're supposed to do it? And the one thing I wrote down in my book is because I wasn't worthy of it. That I felt like, that I still didn't know my place. And I could just see him shaking his head and going, you silly girl, what do you mean you don't know your place? And he said, you are so worthy. And then even today, some of the music that was playing was just like, oh, it was like, you know how when someone's telling you and telling you till finally you feel like they're beating you over the head with it? <laughs> that was me. Because there was one song that Stephanie sang that was, I want total you for your glory, God. And that was one of the things I wrote in my book with Kate was that I'm afraid to do it because I want it to be about you. And as I'm praying, I'm like praising him. I'm just saying, nothing but you, God. And so that's what he's telling me, is that he's getting me ready for nothing but him. I don't know where it's, it, it's supposed to take me. I don't know where my next place I'm supposed to step out. But one of the things that I hold dear ever since she said it, and it was Janelle. Uh, and she said that everybody has a song from him, and only you can sing it. And so I know that whatever it is, it's going to be just for me. So I guess I'm up here asking for prayer that I will find it <laughs> and not be thick-headed because I tend to be that. So. <laughs> well, I'm really proud of you for sharing it. Oh, and you know what? I absolutely think you're supposed to share at Christmas because we need to hear everyone's voice. And because you are all about God, so don't even worry that it's not going to be as fun because it is. And I think you'll be amazing. So aren't you, you would be disappointed now, ladies, right, if, if she didn't? Because then we wouldn't get to hear it. Okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, I know that there may be others. Is there anyone else? You're just out there and it's just burning. You're just like, oh, Manuel. I was going to say, I don't, want, I don't want you to go home and go, I can't believe I didn't get up there. Make it short. <laughs> God is telling me to finish the race. It didn't matter how I started the race, but it's how I'm going to finish the race. So praise God, because I am going to go for, forward. It don't matter how I start it, but it's going to matter how I'm going to finish the race. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That was short, but that was powerful. Is there anyone else? You're going to feel sick when you get home, because you didn't share. Brian? I kind of had a feeling all along at the beginning before God even showed me this. I thought I saw your face when I was still at home. I don't know if I need this mic, but I'll try to speak lightly. Mine's pretty simple. Um, you know, it's really in support of, you know, the ladies that have come up. And it's that feeling inside that's pulling on you and it says, hey, what are you doing? I got something for you, but you're, you're sitting idle. You're still. If some of you got to speak with Kristen, um, our worship leader, pastor, of course, others maybe. I got a message from her some time ago. She needed some, uh, some feedback on some thoughts. And the message was maybe 13 minutes long. Um, no, it wasn't that long. It was probably, <laughs> it was pretty long. She rambled. It was fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but something was born. Something started. Uh, I don't know what direction it's going to go. We're still working on that. But God put something in motion, okay? 
And uh, so I called her back, and we talked, and then I had this feeling, you know, call her back again. We need to talk about some things, and I need to get some other thoughts. And that was fun, too. It's kind of like it started out a little bit fast, and it kind of got that slow moment where it's like, okay, now where? And then it was like, okay, we're going somewhere in a different direction. So my whole point is uh, reaching out, getting involved, and just don't let that feeling like some of us have done inside you. It's tugging. That's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I'm here. Listen to me. You know, get out. Let's go, guys. So, you know, I want to share that because there is a, I don't know my path yet, but I know that Kristen and other people are being put in that position to help me find that spot. And when I find it, you know, what, whatever direction it is, it's going to be right because God's involved. So Hallelujah. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Brian. All right, Renee. See, now you're getting gutsy. <laughs> Sometimes you are. Guy, guys are a little slow. Hey, guys. Um, what I wanted to share with you is uh, God's been working me a lot with, with um, counting only on him. And you know how we do when we, we have something that we need to do? We go to God and we go, okay, God, this is what I need and this is what needs to happen. And then in the back of your mind you go, but if God doesn't do this, then I'm going to do this, this, and this. It's called plan B. <laughs> so God's been working on not having a plan B, only relying on him. And um, it's one of the most exciting things I've ever done, <laughs> while being the most scariest thing I've ever done. Um, but he really does come through. When you count on him, you put it out there, and you don't do plan B. You refrain from plan B at all costs. Refrain from plan B. He shows up through. And um, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm blown away by how amazing he is. And as the girls before me said, that the God of the universe would know me, a mere woman, <laughs> know me. It just blows me away. So anyway, I'm excited because you guys have all shared. You know, we pray for each other, and it knits us together. Um, and that's really cool, too, because we're all going, even though we feel like we're going in different ways, we're really not. It's really for his glory. on one song to close. <laughs> Hallelujah. Sheila, you just come up right up after Becky. Praise God. I'm excited. I think uh, all things happen for a reason. And I know that God is doing amazing things here in, in this body. And it's just exciting for me to be a part of it simply because I feel like the revelation that God has given me in these last few weeks is and I hear it in everybody that comes up here. It's not about us. It's not about us individually. It's about what God wants to do through us for the greater of his purpose. You know, if, if God himself wouldn't have decided that he loved his creation so much that he sent his son, I don't know God being a spirit if he... I believe he fears and he feels and he hurts and he cries. I believe that because we do. We're made in his image and in his, in, in, in his likeness. So 
I know that the things that we fear, when we get up here and we say, God, I'm not worthy. God, I can't do this. How could you love me? How could you possibly want me to do what the worship team does or do what Pastor Vicky does or do what anyone that has a role in this body does? But the bottom line is, is that when he stretches us, as long as we're willing to be stretched, we're going to see it go further. I truly believe that in the last eight, to eight months to this last year, I truly believe in the prayer time that I had with God that I thought this church was truly going to die. And I kept saying, God, I know that that's not it. I know that that's not it because we're still here. There's people here that love you. How can that be it? And one of the things that he's really been showing me is that we have to step out. I believe that the church has lived under this false condemnation for so long. We've tried to earn it. We've tried to do it. We've tried. We can't earn nothing. We're righteous in him only because of him. It doesn't matter if you get up here and you fail. You know what? God's going to make it what he needs it to be. All he wants is that you get up every day, every moment, every second when you feel like you can't do it again. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be great. It just has to be what he's called you to do. You know, one of the things that he's really put on my heart just in the last 24 hours is to really pray for our president. I don't know why. All I just know is that if we don't, we lose. Bottom line, do I agree with everything he did? No. Do I, do I like it? No. But you know what? It's not about me. I look at my grandbabies and I see, Lord, I know you have a plan for them. I need to get my eyes off of this and just focus on who you are. I don't care what he does in his personal time. I don't care where he was born. I don't care nothing about him. But you know what? I know that God's word tells me to pray for him. Pray for him. Pray for him. Do I have the right words? No, but God does. And I think it's the same thing within the whole body. We have to learn to pray for one another. Don't be afraid to say, sister, I need your prayer. Brother, I need you to pray for me. Men in this church, I know that God has such a great anointing on you to lead, to be leaders, to show other young men how it is to just be who God's called you to be. Not to be a false anything, just to be who God's called you to be. To step out in that place. And I know for some men, you see all the women here, you think, oh, let the women do it. Guess what? Nope. <laughs> Sorry. God is calling you men to lead. Why? Because we have a president who's a man who needs your prayers as men. Because you know what? It's not easy for him. It can't be easy for him. I wouldn't want his job. But I want the one that God has for me. So I just challenge everyone in your prayer time, whatever God is calling you to do, no matter how silly it is, just do it. Just do it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. Because what's going to happen in the end, I can't even imagine. Let's get past this, this place where we just say, God, I, I can't do it. That's right. God's saying, that's right, you can't. I want you to let me do 